This is EdTech Weekly, and this is episode 91. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and in tonight's show, as if data collection wasn't scary enough, feelings tracking, questions EdTech entrepreneurs should be prepared for, plug-in loopholes in data recovery, and micro-credentials for teachers. Well, as you can see, we are live streaming. If you're watching on Facebook, um, if you saw us on Facebook going, we're on YouTube Live right now. We put the links out on Twitter and on Facebook. So uh, enjoy the show. I hope you enjoy it. We did some stuff to get the studio ready and to get some of the templates set up so that we could try to do a good show. Um, Christy, you're going to have to do Hangouts where we can see you. I do have a picture set up we can use in that scenario, but since you're not on the show tonight... I want you to have warning that you need to be ready, okay? Um, let's see, website issues. Yeah, we still have some website issues. It was hacked again. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw that. Um, thankfully, my buddy Matt is really good, and he's got us back up and running. So hopefully we'll get the show notes up and uh, all the back show notes up as well. Um, with this new studio, though, I am able to bring Matt back a little bit, and that's pretty exciting because if you've been with the show for a long time, you know just how big a part of the show Matt used to be and just how fun he is. Um, and he's got his own little quirky sayings and stuff like that. So I guess just to test this setup out and let's see um, if we just wanted to ask Matt maybe, you know, what do you think about us live streaming and using some sound bites, Matt? How do you feel about that? I don't know. I just think something like this is really, really cool, hip and or jiggy with it. Ah, uh, yes, yes getting jiggy. Oh, Matt. It just brings a smile to my face. I love it. Um, for those of you who have been longtime friends of the show, I'm sure uh, that brings a smile to your face as well. But um, let's get started, as we always do, with EdTech News Monday. Our first story, uh, an edweek.org article explains how social, emotional learning and data are coming together rapidly to help figure out how emotions are a part of learning. The somewhat frightening part here is that it is being done in free software platforms like Algebra Nation, to name one, and as most adults struggle with understanding even how Facebook tracks their data and how it's used, uh, eighth graders certainly are not fully aware of these things either. And now this is part of an $8.9 million federal grant project that's ultimate goal is to improve teaching by understanding more about when, why, and what students are feeling during learning. The hope is that figuring out when students give up and when they want to try can be addressed in the teaching process. Now, personalized learning is a huge buzzword that we often address on this show, and I guess this is really what the end goal is. I mean, using every possible way to make learning as personalized as it can be. I'll definitely make sure to ask Christy how she feels when we come back, when she comes back next week. But, man, I don't know. This this one's a tough one. Um, the thing that concerns me is that they're using free resources that teachers and parents are probably almost forced to use because of some budget constraints. And farming of data for mostly unaware students is also pretty alarming. Again, if companies or governments are using this data to possibly make money, then this should be transparent from the beginning. I mean, even if they're not using it to make money, it should be transparent. Uh, it's only going to be more important to stay informed as data collection and its use explodes here coming up. It just keeps ramping up more and more. And of course, if this data is used in a responsible manner and it's actually helping uh, improve education for teaching and learning, I'm definitely all for it. But boy, if it's if it's not being used that way, and you know, it's it's tough to say. I don't know. This is a difficult one. Um, I think we all would love data to be used to help students. Um, 
I don't know if we trust EdTech companies or the government for that matter with that kind of stuff. So let's just hope this doesn't get too scary. All right, our next story. This one is from Forbes.com, and it talks about the 10 questions that EdTech entrepreneurs and startups should be able to answer without any hesitation. Now, I know that most of our listeners are going to be probably the ones asking these questions, and that's why I wanted to talk about this article, um, because there's a questions here that we should be prepared to ask and expect an intelligent and relevant answer to. As a person who's been in meetings um, with EdTech companies, I rarely heard these questions being asked. And now this was a few years ago, so I'm hoping that that's changed. But these questions are important. And uh, so I just want to go over them right now. And uh, something that if you have not been asking people in the ed tech industry, then you need to be. Uh, the first question, how effective is your product or service? Seems like a, a basic one there. How much time does it take to learn how to use and implement it? And I know that is a huge one. Just because it's something that looks like it works and would work, the time that it takes to get it implemented and people to understand how to use it, that's a huge thing. Do you provide on-site training? Huge, always. Okay, we're talking about professional development. We definitely want to have the option to have on-site training. If possible, we need to ask for sure and hold them to it if you need it. Do you arrange for ongoing professional development and support? If so, is there an additional cost? You have to ask these questions. They might offer it, and if you don't ask, they're not going to give it to you necessarily, um, especially a salesperson who may not be looking at it from that angle. So it's something that you definitely need to be asking. Uh, ask questions like, why should a teacher use your product over one that's similar? Compare it to something else that uh, maybe even you're considering buying and see how they say they stack up against it. How will your product or service make a teacher's life easier? As we all know, um, in education and teachers, one of the big drawbacks and one of the big hesitations with using ed tech in general is how much time is it going to take me to learn how to do it? Is it going to make my life easier? So make sure you ask that question. Um, how will your product, service, or service better the lives of students? Uh, that's this. I mean, that should honestly be number one question because this is all about the students at the end of the day. Um, how do you store and protect student data? Again, we just talked about data and the type of stuff that's being collected. So how are they storing it? Even what are you collecting as well should be asked. Um, and then finally, the last question they have is, how does your product or service serve a real and valuable purpose in the classroom? Another really important thing to think about, um, you know, we need to make sure that this is actually something that's going to serve a purpose and that it is a valuable thing. And, you know, after looking at these questions, I think it's important to not only ask these questions, but ask for some proof, um, data, back up their answers, hold them to the fire on this. Uh, please check out edtechweeklyshow.com. Now that it's back up and running, I'll have these links up there. Um, and I'll also add these links to the YouTube stream that will keep up so you can watch the show if you want to check it out that way as well. But definitely ask these questions and, and hold out for good answers. And if you don't like what you hear, don't just accept it because you don't think there's another option. Hold them to these things because we have to start at some point. All right, our next story an Ed Tech Magazine article explains the four loopholes you should be you should be closing in your data recovery plan. You should got to be closing these things. I'm sorry, I had my dog Matey, which I've tweeted out a picture barking there, and it got me a little distracted. First, if you have a data recovery plan, then you might be okay. You can kind of look at these things, but if you don't, then you need to get going on that ASAP. This article notes that 60%, yes, 60% of higher ed institutions have experienced a data breach. That is alarming. That is an alarming figure. And I don't think I need to spend a lot of time explaining why that's bad. 
So what are these loopholes? Well, first, the recovery strategy is too loosely defined. If you're not sure what if it is too loosely defined with your strategy, then you should be staging some threat simulations to help you get a better grasp on defining those strategies. Go through the process. Find out, wait a minute, we didn't really define that very well because we're not sure what to do next. Second, communication about the recovery plan is insufficient. The easiest step may be to put your chief information officer on the president's cabinet. So a lot of times the president has a cabinet and a lot of times the chief information officer may not be on that. So that's a good start. Uh, third, uh, authority among IT staff is not clearly assigned. This happens all the time in many areas. So institutions should designate a team or department to manage and coordinate the response process. That's their job is to manage and coordinate that process. They don't have to do everything in the process, but they need to manage and coordinate to make sure that it goes on properly. And finally, leaders fail to gather intelligence from previous breaches. Now, my wife works in public health, and they do these things called hot washes after exercises. And they do that to help improve the process. Look at what happened right after and say, hey, what can we do to make this better? And that's what needs to happen after these data breaches. Fixing it isn't the end. Just because you maybe recovered the data or maybe you stopped that thing from happening that you think you're okay with, you need to learn from it and improve that process. So if your institution is not actively doing these things, then they better get it going on it because as that article states, data breaches are not an if scenario. They are most certainly a when scenario. And with that type of data or with the type of data that universities have, student data and all that important stuff, in any actual area in education, not just obviously higher ed. Um, if you're not doing everything you can, I, it's just not acceptable at this point. I think you really have to be doing those things. All right, let's get on our next story. It's another EdTech Magazine story, and this talks about how micro-credentials help educators develop new tech skills. And I think it's been well documented that I have a bit of a pet peeve when it comes to the term micro uh, whether it's aggressions or learning or other things, nothing quite bothers me like adding a micro in front of it. Now, that doesn't mean, however, that just because that term bothers me that there isn't value to the thing that they are naming that way. Now, digital badge, badges are essentially what they're talking about here when they say micro-credentials. Uh, I guess the best way to say it would be it's anything that's not big enough to be a certification or a degree or something like that, but it still promotes growth, and in this case, for an educator in their class or in other ways to make them better. Now, this does allow teachers to choose more specific things that will help them, so it can certainly be a good thing. There's also an argument that can be made that says using digital badges just by the fact that they're digital may reinforce the idea that people need to be more digitally aware and more on that platform or more on a digital platform. And many districts are adding micro-credentials to be used as a part of professional development requirements, and in that way it can provide more tailored instructions than larger professional development initiatives can. Now, I guess the bottom line here is that micro-credentials, and it's hard for me to even say micro-credentials, have quality learning experiences behind them, then that's good. Just like anything in technology, especially ed tech, it's much more important that the information is useful and delivered well than the name of the delivery system, no matter what we call it. My only real concern here when they talk about these micro-credentials and the way that they're talking about them is that we feel it's important for teachers, and if we feel it's important for teachers to know these things, then shouldn't they all be getting it? Why are, you know, how, how are we doing this to where are we going to have a lot of different teachers that are going through different programs that aren't really on the same page? 
And so it's a it's a much bigger thing than just, hey, go learn whatever you want and then come back and use it. So as long as this is being really, really curated and it's made sure that people are getting the, the information that they need in their specific area, then I'm good with it. But if it's just sort of, oh, let me see what I like. Oh, I like that. Let me learn about it. And it, it's not really going to help, then I'm not sure how good that is. But again, uh, I know that just because it says micro and I have this thing about microing all the things and I don't, I don't really, <laughs> it kind of does get me on the defensive, but uh, as long as this ends up being helpful to teachers and students, I'm good with it. But I, I do think just the term and just going with these buzzwords can be something that can, can lead to, to nothing really fruitful happening. So I think it's kind of important that we at least, um, you know, go through and check that stuff out. All right. So now we're here for our featured segment, and we're going to have some new featured segments, and I'm kind of excited about um, some of the content that we're going to be creating here that we've already started creating here at EdTech Weekly. And what we're going to be doing with our featured segments is giving you some tutorial slash um, informative resources and showing you how to use them and giving suggestions about how to use them in your classroom. I really want to jump to that. And those of you who have been listening to this show for a long time know that that's been high on my priority. So... Um, you know, there's no real segment this week. Again, we'll start those next week and hopefully Chris will be back. We're really looking forward to that because I know doing the show on my own isn't that much fun. Uh, but I am excited about the streaming. I think it went well. Um, I'll have to take a look at it and see once it's all said and done, but it looks like it's working pretty well. Um, so, uh, with that, just, uh, you know, be sure to give us a follow, um, on Twitter and, um, let me go ahead and pull this one up. I've got our social media here. Um, EdTech Weekly Show on Facebook. Uh, edtechweekly.reddit.com please go ahead and get on reddit if you can and you know um, Matt loves reddit and Matt has a lot of good advice if you are trying to get on reddit um, you know the cat videos and all that kind of stuff and we'll have some of those good audio things right now I'm not getting to them but again at Christy M. Warren and at 4Tech Teachers on Twitter uh, email the show at edtechweekly at gmail.com Give us some ideas for some some uh, things you'd like to see featured um, and to learn a little bit about for our featured segments. And uh, that's about it. So we will see you next time on Ed Tech Weekly. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>